0: Time together this evening, we're going to be hearing and thinking about pilgrimage. And we're going to begin by looking together at the goal of our pilgrimage. Where are we going to? We're going to do that by standing together, if you will, and saying some words from Scripture from Revelation chapter 21, where the Apostle John is shown the future destiny of God's people. So if you'll stand with me, there will be two. Uh, sets of words two screens worth behind me and let's uh, join in saying these together then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea i saw the holy city the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven from god or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this hope we have. An amazing hope of a new heaven and a new earth. A place where your people will finally be all that we were created to be. A place where we will finally be radiant. Like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. We long for the day when we, the new Jerusalem, will finally be delivered from all of our brokenness and pain and impurity. We thank you for your promise to walk with us until that day, even through the darkest valleys of our lives. As we turn in a few moments to the book of Psalms and as we hear the call there to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we understand that in terms of your great plans and purposes for the future, the physical city of Jerusalem is no longer the place of your special presence as it was in the Old Testament, and yet our Father in heaven, we cannot help But cry out to you for that sad and broken city and all those who live in and around her. In your great mercy, will you bring a solution to that place of war and fear? Will you give wisdom to the leaders on both sides, wisdom and humility? And will you open the eyes of Jews and Muslims to the truth about your son Jesus? Bring those lost peoples to repentance and faith in him. Glorify your name by bringing the peace that only Jesus can bring. Have mercy, Father, in that broken place where Jesus walked that place where he died, dying on the cross for the salvation of men and women and children from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Father, will you bring many from Jerusalem and Gaza and the West Bank to join us on the day we stand around your throne and cry out together salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And this evening, will you remind us what a privilege it is to be able to say today, to say here and now, Christ is mine forevermore. Amen. This evening we're going to start looking at a group of psalms, and we'll continue with these when it's my turn to speak in the evenings. The group of psalms is Psalm 120 to 134, and that is not a random selection. All of these 15 psalms have the title, A Song of Ascent. There were three annual festivals in Israel, times when Israelites would gather together in Jerusalem to worship God at the temple there. And it seems that as they traveled to Jerusalem from all over the country, they used this little songbook on their journey. They're called Songs of Ascent because Jerusalem, also known as Zion, was a city on a hill, still is. So wherever you were coming from, you were going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. But not only was Jerusalem elevated in its geography, it was elevated in importance too. God's presence was there in the temple. And so Jerusalem was the most important place on the earth. These 15 Psalms may not have been specially written for the journey to Jerusalem, but at some point they were collected together for pilgrims to use on the journey. They are pilgrim songs. A pilgrim is someone who's on a journey, and the New Testament describes the Christian life as a journey. So we are pilgrims. And I think we'll be able to find a lot to identify with in these songs as they describe not only the joys, but also the dangers and the near misses, the painful experiences, and even the moments of defeat along the journey. And in all these things, these pilgrim songs encourage us to keep going on to our glorious destination. Today we're going to look at the first three Psalms of Ascent. So 120 to 122. These three belong together, as we'll see, hopefully. So let's read all three of them together. Starting with Psalm 120. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you, and what more besides you deceitful tongue? He will punish you with a warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshek, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. I rejoiced with those who said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. May there be peace within your walls and security within your citadels. For the sake of my family and friends, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your prosperity. This is God's word. And each of these Psalms highlight an aspect of our journey as God's people. First of all, our longing for peace. And then our sovereign companion. And then third, our true home. First, Psalm 120 identifies our longing for peace. It makes sense that this is the first song in this little book of 15, because it expresses the realization that every pilgrim has at some point. The realization that we don't truly belong where we are. Maybe most of the time we feel comfortable in our surroundings, In fact, our surroundings might be the only place we know. We may have been there our whole lives. But at some point, the man or woman who belongs to God realizes, I'm an outsider here. I'm an alien and a stranger in this place. And sometimes that realization becomes very powerful and very unsettling. In verse 1 of Psalm 120, the songwriter is one of, he's at one of those moments where he is in distress, he says. And he brings that distress to God. In verse 2 explains his distress. He's under attack from lying lips and deceitful tongues. The people around him have turned against him, they're hostile. And we've probably all had that kind of experience to one degree or another. The experience of being misrepresented or attacked by the words of others. People saying things about us that just aren't true. It hurts when anybody does that to us. And it hurts even more when it comes from someone we thought was our friend. And as the songwriter prays about his distress, as he asks God to save him from it, he knows that God will deal with it. In the end, liars and deceivers will experience God's judgment. Verse 4 describes that judgment as sharp arrows and burning coals. God's judgment will come but it doesn't often come immediately. It may not come for a long time. It will be perfect when it does come, but in the meantime, we are still surrounded by the things that distress us. And so we come to realize we don't truly belong here. This place might have been our home for our whole lives but it's not our true home. Verses seven, 5 to 7 of this are important because they explain why the people around him are so opposed to the songwriter. His distress hasn't come about because of some silly misunderstanding. It's not just some little disagreement that's got out of hand. No, people are hostile to him because his whole outlook And the desires of his heart are totally at odds with those around him. So this is not a situation that can be fixed. It can't be cleared up with a conversation or an apology. Most of our day-to-day issues with people can be sorted out that way. But sometimes we come face-to-face with the fact that as God's people, we simply don't belong here. We experience the distress of being among people whose lives have a whole different motivation and direction than ours. You see that in verses 5 to 7. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Meshech and Kedar were places outside of Israel, to the far north and to the southeast. So the psalmist doesn't actually live in either of those places. But the point is that his home feels as strange and as foreign to him as one of those faraway places. And the reason it feels that way is because he is for peace and the people around him are for war. The word for peace here is shalom. And when we've run into this word in other parts of Scripture, we've noticed it's a comprehensive word. It means life as it was meant to be. It's not just an absence of fighting. It's life under God's good rule. Where He is honored and where His people flourish as they honor Him. So saying I'm for peace and they're for war doesn't mean they like to fight and I don't. It means I am committed to a life that honors God. And that makes me an outsider here. Because just by living with that commitment to God, I seem to provoke those around me. Just talking about God and his goodness brings hostility from them. As I said earlier, much of the time we may feel quite at home in this world, quite at home in our day-to-day situations, the people we work with, the people we go to school with. But if we are people who live for God, if we love his word and we trust his wisdom and we speak about him, then sometimes we will provoke hostility from those around us we will find that our tolerant society is not very tolerant of us. Just because we live with these priorities and speak about what we believe, we will feel sometimes the distress of being an outsider. And we will long for the true peace that cannot be found among people who ignore God or reject Him. And in those moments, in those periods of time, we will remember we're pilgrims here. We're not at home because we are headed for a place where God is the center of everyone's life, where his word is loved by everyone. And our school or our workplace and maybe even our family is not like that, we find. So Psalm 120 reminds us that we're pilgrims. It gets us focused on the fact that we're heading somewhere better. And then Psalm 120 reminds us about, 121 reminds us about our sovereign companion. Verse 1 of 121 says, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? This is the natural follow-on from the end of Psalm 120. That psalm started with the pilgrim crying to the Lord for help. He knew that things would be put right in the end, but in the meantime, he's still in a hostile place, filled with many dangers, toils, and snares. And as he he sets out on his journey, and he looks up, what does he see in front of him but mountains looming over him. Who knows what dangers could be hiding in the mountains, ready to fall on him or jump out at him. And if he has to climb some of those mountains on his journey, it will take a lot of perseverance. There will be lots of places where he could lose his footing and slip. So the pilgrim wants to know, is there help available? Not just at the end of the journey, I know there's help there, but what about throughout the journey? Where does my help come from? The answer comes in verse 2 My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. The world might be hostile to the pilgrim, but it's still God's world. The mountains might seem daunting but they still belong to the maker of heaven and earth. So even as the pilgrim looks at the big things that are in his way and the intimidating things that are looming over him, he's able actually to look even higher than those things, right up to the God who rules over them all. Sometimes I think you and I forget to do that. We're very good at looking up as far as the obstacles in front of us, but sometimes we stop too soon. We don't keep on looking up to the God who is bigger than all of the obstacles. And he's not just bigger than them, he is our companion and helper as we face them. Six times in this psalm, the Lord is described as the one who watches over his pilgrims. Once, the NIV translates it as keep, but it's the same word all six times. And that doesn't just mean he looks on from a distance. This is watching over that's hands-on. The Lord is active in helping his pilgrims. You can see that in verses 3 and following. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. He is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. This answers our fears as we look at the obstacles ahead of us. Will the Lord abandon us? and let us come crashing down to destruction no he won't let your foot slip will he doze off or clock off or not be on the alert for us no your sovereign companion and helper helper will neither slumber nor sleep his care is round the clock care will day or night ever throw up a danger or an obstacle he's not prepared for or that he can't cope with? No. The obvious things, the things that are as blatant as the scorching sun beating down on us, the Lord will keep us through all of those things. And the more ominous and mysterious things, the subtle dangers that sneak up on us like bandits in the moonlight, even the things that we imagine might happen as we lie awake in the dark, turning over our fears and our minds. The Lord will bring us through those hidden dangers too, and those mental disturbances. Verse 7 sums up the Lord's comprehensive care. He keeps us from all harm. It's our whole life that he's watching over. And Verse it says that's not just for today, it's forever. Well, does that mean then that, that our life will be trouble free? Is that what it means to be kept from harm? Well, that can't be what it means because what is described here is God keeping us from harm as we climb steep mountains and feel the scorching sun and experience the fears that come with the darkness. So this is a promise we will not come to ultimate harm. The obstacles and the oppressive things and the terrifying things in life will not be the end of us. The Lord will bring us through them and out the other side. How can we be sure of that? We can be sure because He is the Lord. Capital L-O-R-D is a translation into English of the name Yahweh. God's personal name. The name he signs on his promises. When he brought Israel out of Egypt, he made a covenant with his people, and he signed the covenant with blood. He put his name to it. So his good name is at stake here in his care for his people. He will watch over his people for the sake of his good name. And how much more is that true of his new covenant people? The new covenant signed not with bull's blood, but with his own blood poured out on the cross. If you want assurance that God will do for you what he has promised to do, look at the cross. That's your guarantee. Romans chapter 8 says, If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? If God did that greatest of all things for us, if he bought us at such cost, we can be sure he'll do what it takes to keep us and bring us safely home. And that's what Psalm 122 is about, our true home. This song looks forward to the pilgrim's arrival in Jerusalem, and we learn that he's traveling there with friends, as well as his sovereign companion, he's among a group of pilgrims. Verse 1, I rejoice with those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet are standing in your gates, Jerusalem. So this is not a solitary pilgrimage. Together they stand in Jerusalem. And verses 3 to 5 describe the city. Jerusalem is built like a city that is closely compacted together. That is where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to praise the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. There stand the thrones for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Verse 3 says the city is closely compacted together. I don't think that's saying it's cramped. It means the city is solid. It's well built and firm. It's not a divided city. Between 1961 and 1989, the city of Berlin was divided by a wall. It was a city divided against itself. There was no crossing over and those who tried to cross over died in the process. But this city is the opposite. It's a city at unity with itself. Christopher Ash Fleshes out like the meaning of verse 3 for us. He says, It's a safe and impregnable city with foundations and walls that are earthquake proof and attack resistant. It's a city of solidity, of glory, of weight, of substance. The psalmist feels safe there. The city of God is the world's only really safe place. It's the only place where very different people become one united people. Verse 4 says, the tribes go up there. And the Old Testament shows that the history of Israel's 12 tribes was a history of quarreling and disputes. They couldn't get along with each other. But here, in this city, they are united. And look what it is that unites them. In the second half of verse 4, they're united by praising the name of the Lord according to the statute given to Israel. This is a people united by worship of the Lord according to His word. So one writer says about this verse, we belong with those who worship what we worship. We belong with those who worship what we worship. Worship is what unites us. And true worship truly unites us. Remember, that's why the pilgrim didn't belong where he found himself in Psalm 120. The direction and the focus of his life had nothing in common with the people around him there. But here... In the city of God, life is centered on God and on his chosen king. You see that in verse 5. There are thrones for judgment. A throne is the place of authority. And here that authority is used for justice, to set things right and uphold what is right. But why thrones, plural? Why not just one throne? Well, the second part of verse 5 explains these are the thrones of the house of David. So talking about thrones is a way of saying each new king in David's line comes and takes his place. David and his descendants reign in the city of God. This is a picture of things as they should be. This is where the pilgrim finds shalom, the peace he was looking for back in Psalm 120. And this is how the New Testament describes the church of Jesus Christ. Because, as great as the physical city of Jerusalem was, it failed to live up to this picture. It's certainly not living up to it today. Now it had its glory days, but in the end it failed miserably to uphold true worship and true justice. The temple in Jerusalem became infected with false worship. In many cases the kings who reigned there oppressed the people and led them deeper into idolatry. And so the writers of the New Testament describe the church of Jesus Christ as the true city of God. The church is the new Jerusalem. The church is the city on a hill. This city is built of living stones. Men and women instead of bricks and mortar. And the king in the center of the city is Jesus Christ. He is the descendant of David who truly does uphold what is right. And so in this world, the church is where God's people find their true home. The church is where we escape the lies and deceit that surround us the rest of the week. This is where we find our true family. This is where we belong. We are united in worship of God and his chosen King Jesus. This is our place of security. And I don't mean within these walls is our place of security. I mean among these people. It's in this family that we experience God's care. To a large extent, he watches over us and he provides for us through these people. He meets our needs through these people. Our fellow pilgrims. Is that the way you think of the church family? Maybe you'd say, well... Yes and no. Yes, in many ways, it does feel like a refuge from the hatred and the war I face for much of the week. But the unity can feel shaky at times. The peace can seem fragile. The upholding of what is right can leave a fair bit to be desired at times. That's probably what we'd say if we're being honest. And that's why verses 6 to 9 are still so relevant. These verses are a prayer for the peace and security and prosperity of the city of God. In this world, we have to pray urgently, and continually for these things. Because just like ancient Jerusalem, the church is not yet all that it should be. And the reason for that is, you and I are not yet all that we should be. We are not yet as committed to peace as we should be. We're not yet as committed to true worship as we should be. We're not yet as committed to God's word and God's king as we should be. To the degree that a church family is committed to those things, that church family will be a place of security and healing and peace. But to the degree that we're shallow And half-hearted in our commitment to God's Word and God's King, to that degree, our church family will be lacking in unity and peace and the care that nurtures and builds us up. And so we pray urgently for the peace and security of the church. And we commit ourselves to seek the prosperity of the church. Not its financial prosperity so much as its prosperity in obedience. And we commit to the church in those ways because in this world, the church is our true home. It's the God-given city where our needs can be met. It's the only place we can find true peace from the lies and deceit and war that's all around us. There's nowhere on earth like the church. And so we do not give up on the church. We don't walk away when it's a bit grimy and a bit cracked and a bit leaky. We play our part in building up and cleaning up the church. Not by vacuuming the building and scrubbing the floors. We play our part in building up and cleaning up the church through our personal commitment to worshipping King Jesus. And living under the authority of God's word ourselves. And loving our brothers and sisters. And when the church disappoints us, as it will at times, in those times we thank God. The church as it is now is not the church as she will be. The church is still on a pilgrimage. As a people, we're still journeying to the perfect peace that we all long for. The good things that we see and experience in the church now, those are glimpses of the church as she will be. One day those glimpses are going to widen right out to become perfect peace and security and praise. So our calling is not to abandon the church and look for something better. The call is to stay with the church and love the church until the day she becomes something better. God is not going to replace the church. He is going to perfect her. As we read, right at the beginning of the service, the end of the Bible describes the new Jerusalem as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. That's the church. And that beautiful, perfected city that's seen in a vision form there in Revelation, it's a place of perfect peace and healing and unity and worship and love. It's a place where the king has put everything right. And so when we feel out of place in this world, let's not be surprised, and let's remember we have a sovereign companion who watches over us and who will bring us through every trial. And let's also commit ourselves to pray and to work for the peace and prosperity of our true home the church of Jesus Christ. Our next song encourages us to do that. And before we join in sharing the Lord's Supper together, we're going to listen to the musicians as they sing, Church of God, elect and glorious. We've heard about peace this evening, and this table reminds us where our peace comes from. Jesus said to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. The prophet Isaiah tells us how much it cost Jesus to give us his peace. Isaiah says the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And so we have peace with God because Jesus paid for the sin that stood between us and God. This table shows us what it costs for us to have God as our sovereign companion. What it costs for us to have a place in the city of God. What it costs for us to be united as one people. It cost Jesus' body broken for us and his blood shed for us. So as we share this bread and wine, we share it as pilgrims on our way to our perfect home, all because of Jesus. So if you are someone who is trusting in Jesus as your only hope, for now and for this future we've been talking about, then please join us. Share the bread and wine, but if that's not you, or if you're not really quite sure what I mean when I talk about that, then please just let the bread and wine pass you by tonight. But for those of us who do eat and drink, as we eat and drink, let's thank God for the punishment that brought us peace, ultimately eternal peace, but peace with God today as well. So I'll ask our servers if they'll come please and distribute the bread and as you're served please keep the bread and we'll eat it together as a sign of our unity in Christ. Let's eat together and remember the one who brought us peace. Again, as our servers distribute the wine, I'd ask you to keep the cup, and we'll also drink that together. Let's drink together and give thanks. now to him who is able to keep every one of his pilgrims from stumbling, and to present all of you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.
1: my